Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. If you could see how ridiculous I look over here, I've got a like a Tupperware lid over my computer balanced by a bench and a, bench and a shoe. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for making your way here and checking out this episode. Uh, I do hope you hit the subscribe button. That way, you can keep up with all the interviews that we put out every single week. I do three new interviews a week, a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artist and discover some new ones as well. At all the usual spots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, anywhere you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. That's me, I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, catching up with Jack Johnson, who's back with a brand new record called Meet the Moonlight. It's an album that finds Jack reflecting the darkness of the past three years, although it's it's through his 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 optimistic filter that he's uh, that he's known for. Uh, we're going to discuss working with Blake Mills, uh, writing as a reaction, uh, digging into Greg Brown and J.J. Kell's catalog, and uh, a fun story about singing the bass line from Led Zeppelin's Days to Confused through a beer bottle. Uh, Jack's also going to tell us about his uh, his new learning farm that focuses on environmental education as well as his latest green initiative with this year's tour and collaborating with local nonprofits, uh, how surfing informs his music, and also celebrating the 20th anniversary of his debut album, Brushfire Fairy Tales, that happened just uh, the 20th anniversary was actually last year. Now, this interview was originally taped on an industry Zoom call. I interviewed Jack uh, with uh, about, I think, 30 or 40 other radio programmers from across the country uh, tuning in. So we also did some uh, live Q&As at the end of it. So when you hear some referencing going on, uh, that's what's happening right here. So I should also thank uh, Brushfire Records and Republic Records also for asking me to do that. Otherwise, let's jump into this. Talking about Meet the Moonlights, it's Kyle Meredith with Jack Johnson. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks for joining us i gotta give you the compliment here first with uh with meet the moonlights uh you know i'm such a fan i know a lot of us are such big fans of all the records that you've done over the years this one feels different i love this record right from the beginning it sounds different the content feels different what you're singing about is is obviously poignant and, and important so 
just from the start, when did this record start? Because obviously you're reflecting everything that's going on around us, uh, or, or so it seems at least. Yeah, records. Um, but yeah, this album is it was really fun to make. It was it was a new process work with Blake Mills, who I was a big fan of uh, his music already. I didn't have any idea he produced music. And um, then somebody mentioned Emmett, who's actually on this call, said that he produces records and realized he produced that Alabama Shakes record, which I loved, one of my favorite records that year. And um, and all the sonic quality on the record and everything just really was something I enjoyed. So I started talking with him and then um, we just kind of hit it off. We became pretty good friends, uh, just talking about music in general, both music fans and got together in a studio for about a week. And we just, it was, I never argued with somebody so much, but it was um, in a really good way. It was just like, we constantly be debating things and pushing each other on stuff. And it was um, fun. Like even last night, he just called me to figure out what the rules are to this card game I'd taught him called Cafe Con Leche. And I could tell it was um, a party going on in his house, but he called me to get all the rules. And I was thinking, that's pretty cool that, you know, we can now just hang out and be friends. And we didn't hate each other after the process of making a record. I think that's a really big success in itself. The song, probably about a year ago, I started kind of writing the songs. I'm just always sort of putting little bits together. And at some point I have enough. So, uh, you know, to put together an album. And like you mentioned, I think, of course, it's going to be a reaction to the strange few years we've all had. It's still got, you know, personal songs about love and loss and all that stuff that everybody always is going through. But also, I guess I was focusing a lot about empathy, tribalism, you know, the feeling of isolation, all these things that have been kind of amplified the past few years. And um, yeah, I think Open Mind, there's a song called Open Mind. It's the first song on a record. And I wanted to start it because, you know, it's an important time to keep an open mind. But as I was finishing that song, it was cool. Blake actually asked me, is it even good to have an open mind? I mean, is, people always give it a positive connotation, but like, is it always a good thing? So we, I started just meditating on the idea of what it is to keep an open mind. And that's how the record starts. And, and especially, you know, because you're right, that line right there, it sets up everything. I didn't know that at the time, you know, you figure that out once the, the record is over and everything. But but that's that's I think that's what I was getting to, because it feels like it's almost a concept record in, in that yeah, sense. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and I don't know if that's always the, I mean, that's not always the case with you. But, uh, you know, I, I think maybe Curious George soundtrack. It's, it's that's a weird relation to this one, I guess is what I'm getting to. But but do you find it's helpful to have do you need something to write about? Because this has a lot of something in it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, I think they're all concept records. The concept is just like what the hell's been going on in Jack's mind for the last two years. Um, and yeah, I don't always need. Well, yeah, I guess I do always need something. I never sit down to write a song because I think like, oh, it'd be good to have a song. It's always a reaction to something. Um, and I think that, you know, if, you, if you're lucky, they sort of come and if you're Sometimes I feel like nothing's coming for a few months, but I just, I've learned that rather than consider that a writer's block or anything like that, it's just time to inhale instead of exhale. Um, you can't just constantly be exhaling. So it's uh, life experiences, reading books, just talking to friends and conversation, all those kind of things for the inhale that need to happen to, uh, to be able to have new songs. And so whenever they come, I just grab onto them and, um, and I try to finish them. I find if I don't finish them, they sit around for a long time. And then 
it's um it's fun to bring all the little pieces and realize that ultimately these two songs i was thinking about the same thing sometimes from different perspectives one becomes the verse one becomes the chorus sometimes but yeah so i don't yeah the songs come along when they do with your and blake's relationship i also read about um you know trying to find that common ground with each other and you would share uh playlists and and find the artist uh what are the artists that you all eventually decided on uh what, what were on those playlists yeah sure i think our our favorite artist in the venn diagram that overlap is greg brown once we both discovered how much we we love greg brown it became kind of a no-brainer we just would nerd out on all our favorite greg brown songs um he in my mind is like one of the great lyricists of all time he kind of reminds me of kurt vonnegut was to write songs what it might be like because something I love that Kurt Vonnegut wrote one time is that uh, with, with writing, you build up tension. At some point, you have to let the reader or the listener release the tension, and you can choose laughter or, or crying. And it's really the same thing. It's just the tension releasing. And he always chose laughter, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, even if it was a heavy situation, he would let that tension release with the laughter. And I think Greg Brown is great at doing that. Um, and that was something we both talked about and enjoy in his music. So Greg Brown was one of them. Um, JJ Kale. It's funny because JJ Kale, somebody I never grew up listening to much. And then when my first album came out, I would say that would probably be the one, the person that almost the most people would ask, like, "Oh, you sound like pretty heavily influenced by JJ Kale." And at that point, I knew like Cocaine or a few songs, but I hadn't really checked it. And then. I just love JJ Kale. Like, man, I just got really into him the last few years. And um, so that was somebody we'd listen to for production ideas. And uh, just the way sometimes it sounds more like somebody's just doing something like this for the, for the rhythm track. And so there's a lot of that on this album, a lot of uh, building from backs of guitars and whatever sort of thing is around a tap on. And then sometimes we would add drums in, like as we would listen to it and think the song deserved a little more low end or something. Uh, that's a funny way to put it. The song deserves something, but it's um, we would add in some kick or whatever, and and we kind of would r race the instruments between Blake and I. He's better at playing most of them, but I was still, you know, it's my record, so I got to kind of like overrule him sometimes. But a lot of times, if he would play something, I would just love it so much. But bass lines, drum beats, and everything—it's mostly uh, the two of us on the record. But I brought the band in right at the end, and we added some stuff to different things. Um, it was really just the process that kind of led to us building these almost sketches and they became the, the actual album. And then, uh, but I, you know, I love the, I love my band. I love having them on the record. So we all got together right at the end. And they, we don't look now as a song we all did together, um, kind of a live track in the studio. And then they added a bunch of different things, but um, I drank a lot of coffee. So I, I'm, I tend to digress and I'm kind of, I forget what the question even was. I'm just rambling though. Digress away. Some of those, it, it, once you see the credits to the album, uh, everyone, it's it's very fun because there are some things like uh, bottles. Uh, and I, oh, yeah. I know there's some videos out there of you playing the bottles. Uh, it's whatever works, right? It's what, yeah. as you said, whatever's around. That, that was a funny one because one night we were having a beer in a studio and I, I was showing them this trick that I figured out one time that I wish I had a beer bottle so I could show you guys way cooler than trying to explain it. But if you're drinking, uh, if you're singing uh, Dazed and Confused by Led Zeppelin, it's that the bass line, the don't, don't, like a descending bass line. So every time you take a sip of beer and then you blow into it, the pitch gets a little lower. So you can do this thing where I've been dazed and then you 
well, you keep doing the bass line as you sing it. And I showed that to Blake one night and then he was really impressed, or at least I think he was. And uh, he was like, oh, we got to get that on a song. So we ended up figuring out with tuners, like figuring out the pitch of different bottles. Like we'd, and then we'd tape it and say, okay, E flat, and then tape another one and say F. And um, so I had all these bottles laying around and I'd hold them and we did this kind of counter melody in this song called Costume Party. Then, um, yeah, it came out kind of cool. Like the beer bottles became my favorite instrument on the album, maybe. And now you've got a writing can, credit for them. So that's. I don't know if you could tell it's totally raining over here. <laughs> you're getting wet. We appreciate your, uh, you're taking one for the team with the, uh, with the rain there. There's rain now dripping onto my computer. I'm basically sacrificing my computer for this uh, Zoom call. So. Appreciate all, that. All appreciate you know what? <laughs> this is if this is how I can feel like I'm in you know Hawaii. That's uh, about as close as I'm coming right now. So, and I know there's so much going on with this too. Um, beyond the record and what you've been doing, I wanted to ask about the learning farm because that's one of the uh, the newest initiatives, right? Yeah, yeah, that's really exciting. We've got we've had Kapu Hawaii Foundation now for 20 years, and we've mostly been working in classrooms. It's um, the quick version, it's environmental education for kids. It's a nonprofit. And we do everything from garden education in schools, uh, beach cleanups to kind of bring awareness to the plastic problem in, in the ocean, um, send kids on field trips to farms with grants for field trips and lots of different things. We've been kind of mostly working in the schools. And recently we acquired a, uh, an eight acre farm and some some buildings that we can have a farm stand and all kinds of exciting stuff so now we can actually have the field trips come into our learning farm and we have high school interns over there working right now and it's uh it's a lot of fun it's really rewarding it's been exciting just to see little parts of the farm build out farm is it doesn't give enough credit really because there's there's like constructed native wetlands in the corners where we're actually attracting native insects and birds coming back and that's already been happening it's it's like one of my favorite things just to go over there in the morning and sit around and watch these native birds come back to this area now that they have a little zone they can be in. And uh, yeah, so I love it. It's a lot of fun and it's uh, been great to see for the community. A lot of participation over here in Hawaii amongst all the, uh, the teachers and the community members. So that's, that's what I've been spending a lot of time doing. Yeah, when you're not on tour, like how much time does, it, does this take up? Is this what you're doing mostly uh, when you're not touring? Yeah, I'd say. Uh, it is what I, what I do mostly. And it's, it's um, like I said, I mean, it's really rewarding and fun. And I, I feel like if anything, it kind of gives me more, more things to write about, you know, it's like, I'll see all kinds of things out there and interactions. And um, I don't know. So even though it takes up a lot of my time, I feel like it's, it's also been kind of serendipitous with, with, with music. We play a lot of music out on the farm. Actually, it's fun. Like sometimes Pauhana, like the end of the work day on Fridays, uh, we'll sit around and especially if we have a, any musicians in town visiting or whatever, we'll kind of get out of the instruments. The farm manager plays ukulele. And so we'll sit around and play and um, yeah, it's, it's fun. We love it. It does take a lot of time, but it's sort of, it's all time well spent. That sounds like the perfect uh, bit of existence right there, helping and putting back the earth and you get good songs out of it. So that's uh, what more can you ask for on that one? Uh, you are going on tour um and uh you got incredible openers I'll, I'll name a few of those with duran jones and the indications uh, ziggy marley ben harper lake street dive i mean these are right up all of our alleys right right here and and talking about this uh, the green initiative i mean this is something that you've done for every tour for as long as i can remember uh what's new with this one i mean how how are you doing the uh you know the balancing yeah sure um you know i would 
we're kind of right in the in the point where we're sort of seeing what's possible with like all the changes i mean everything's starting to open back up and so hopefully we'll be able to implement all the things that we were doing before we're going to kind of have to see with um like refill programs with cups and different things you know the um reusable cups those are that's something we've kind of been working on a lot and i was mentioning before the plastic problem and in the ocean here in hawaii all the west or sorry the east facing islands the windward sides of the islands you know all the photos you see of of hawaii you see the palm trees and beautiful beaches but if you go to any windward beach and you actually walk the the high tide line it's just a colorful mess of plastic and if you dig down into the sand there's little bits of uh, that it's becoming part of this the makeup of the sand it's like this colorful sand that's little bits of plastic and so you really see it firsthand here and so that's always been a a dichotomy for me is like on tour when you play a big festival and you see all the single-use plastic afterwards and then being something i care so much about the ocean so it's something we've been working on for a long time many tours is trying to implement these reusable cut programs to cut down on the single-use plastic so if we can get that going again and on what level we'll have to see um, that's an important one for us and really the main thing is just cooperating with all these local nonprofits. that's kind of the biggest thing for me is um, being able to shed light you know, I think my wife, she's always felt like her main job is taking the spotlight this on me and trying to shine it on different things. So my head doesn't get any bigger than it already is. And so working with all these local nonprofits, I feel like it's, it makes it where instead of only thinking of the negative of like trying to mitigate the negative environmental footprint, I feel like it's actually expanding on the positive because people coming to the show get turned on to these really great groups that are working in their local community. And then long after we're gone, people stay active with those groups. And we've heard it time and time again that, you know, people who maybe got introduced and started by volunteering are now working at the group a few years later when we come back. You know, I've had people work all the way up to where they're kind of like leading these nonprofits. And the first time, maybe 10 years ago, they got introduced to them at the shows. So I know it works. And I'm a, like, that's the part that I love seeing is just the particip participation of the local nonprofits at the show. So we'll keep that going. Yeah. So far beyond the song. That's what's beautiful about it right there. Is that the sun that just popped out around yeah. you? Yeah, it's it's coming and going. We got liquid sunshine right now. It's lightly raining and then it's the sun's out. It's kind of weird. You know, as we talk about the heaviness of the record, I, I kept thinking, but there, there's got to be light because it's Jack Johnson. And, and how important is it for you, even in these songs, to find that light? Because it does arrive in these songs. Yeah, I don't know if it's so important as much as it is just natural. I kind of... Um, I love all kinds of music and I listen to really, you know, everything from Bob Marley and all the stuff you'd probably think I'd listen to, to Radiohead, you know, and different things like that, that sometimes don't necessarily give any light. And there's like really dark. I love, I love all kinds of music. Um, but for me, naturally, it's just, I tend to, I think I grew up like always playing with people around. Like it was always sort of these sing-along type of songs. So um, it's always very social. So I think even, um, even when it might be a darker topic, it's like I, I kind of woodshed them a little bit on the front deck at barbecues and stuff with friends. And so they always end up, yeah, trying to find a little bit of light. And I, um, I think you're right that, that that is in the songs. It's just not so much important, just natural, I think. Uh, question from uh, Jeff White here. How does surfing affect your environmental perspective and in turn your music? Yeah, I think quite a bit, probably more than I realize. Um, I always kind of think with surfing, I don't know, is this one of those zooms where you can see everybody's face or is it just me here? Because uh, like to... actually, it's so funny. I was about to talk about him, but he just took a little pee break or something. Emmett Malloy just stood up. Oh, there he is. He's back. 
so Emmett's been my wife and Emmett managed me uh, along with Kizzy, who's over there. Sorry, kids. Uh, but anyways, Emmett, he didn't know what he was doing. And he started pretending like he was my manager. I got this call and somebody one time said, uh, do you want me to call your manager or do you, are you going to call him? I had no manager at this point. And I was like, so dumb. I was like a George Costanza moment where I was kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll tell my manager. And I was like, shoot, why did I say that? I don't even have a manager. And so I hung up and Emmett happened to be next to me. I was like, hey, come with me to this meeting and pretend like you're my manager. And uh, so he did. I mean, this is a real story. And then, yeah. <laughs> and he kind of, <laughs> he pulled it off a little bit. Look at him. That guy's like, <laughs> so, but anyways, why was I, oh, because me and Emmett were just surfing the other day and um, together. And it's, I was thinking about it. You know, we were really busy doing all this kind of like press stuff. And then you get to take these breaks. And when you go surfing, I mean, anybody has those things that bring peace to your life. Um, the thing that's beautiful about surfing, you actually like detach from the land and you're floating. And um, it's almost like uh, you just get to be away from Earth for a little while. I mean, you're still on Earth, obviously, but it's just drifting around. It's a nice break. It's a time to meditate. Like whenever I'm having trouble finishing lyrics, if I just go for a surf, they usually finish themselves. Um, and then as far as like the the question about the environmental action, yeah, I think it's it's everything like being surrounded and immersed by it it's given me so much in my life um, that it's kind of just logical to do what you can to preserve it. Yeah, they, uh, Jeff had also asked if songs come to you in the water, which I think you were alluding to a little bit there, but that's gotta be the rough point because, you know, to be able, like to be able to hold on to that, other, you got the phone or something near you, like yeah, no, it's no. a lot of trust, right? I actually, I mean, I can honestly say there's been, I can think of like a handful of times, maybe three or four times where I've had an idea that I think is good enough to just go in like, and I've only been out for 15 minutes and I'm like, Oh, I got to go record that somehow. Cause like, otherwise I'll forget it. So they do come. It's kind of like a natural, um, just a low stress situation. So a lot of times like the little sparks will come, not necessarily uh, digging into verses. Like for me, I think a lot about verses kind of being like dreams and choruses being like, like a myth. Joseph Campbell had this thing where he talked about dreams are a myth for one person and a myth is a dream for a whole culture. And so like the choruses, if you think about a lot of times the part that everybody can kind of attach to and then the dream, the verses sometimes can be pretty personal and you cannot know what the hell somebody's talking about on the verse, but as long as the chorus kind of connects, you know? Um, so anyways, the choruses seem to come like those lines a lot of time that I'll just be repeating in my head all day and I don't know why. And that becomes the question I'll write the song around. Um, that's kind of, I'd say like 70% of the time I'll have a line that's echoing in my head and then I'll just ask myself, what does this mean and why is this in my head? And then that's how I'll write the song is trying to answer that question. What last year, if I remember right, if I got my timing right, last year was the 20th for, uh, for Brush Fire Fairy Tales, that, that debut yeah. album. And with everything closed down, I mean, did you get a proper chance to celebrate that? Is that something you're gonna be doing more of on this tour? Put a spotlight on it in any way? That's a good, actually, thanks for reminding me, I will. That's a good call. I hadn't really thought about it. And we didn't do a proper celebration or anything. Uh, but I have been actually, it's funny, I've been talking to JP Plunier, who's um, produced that record. And really, I mean, just a huge part of why I even get to have a music career. He was so supportive in the beginning. And uh, yeah, we've been connecting more recently and talking. And he, he was really sweet about uh, sending a lot of nice thoughts about this new album when he heard the first song and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, that was such a fun time. That was like, to think back to recording that album in six days and we just had no idea it would connect on the level that the music did. I remember listening to the mixes with my wife in the car driving and saying, I just hope it's somebody's favorite album. You know, I just hope that 
if like one person in the world, if this is their favorite album, that would be a success to me. Um, at that point, you know, we were barely filling up clubs and stuff. So I was like, can honestly say I didn't dream it would be a fraction of what happened. So it's fun. Yeah. So anyways, I think we will celebrate that album this summer and play a lot of songs off of it. It's a good call. Uh, Brad Savage asks, uh, have you ever done a radio show? And how do you feel about radio today? Also, can we all come by and do a remote broadcast from your studio in Hawaii? Let's do, let's do it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say yes. And then like one of my people will call you and say no. No, I just can't. <laughs> um, totally joking. I love doing radio. I mean, honestly, like being able to just have an acoustic guitar and play the songs um, like at radio stations. On it's I've met, I'm sure, a lot of the people who are out here on this Zoom right now over the years. And those are those kind of real connections and um, that happen that make it all feel really organic. And it's it's I love that on the first tours, especially when I had no kids, I had all the time in the world. So I wake up and it was like, go to a radio station, go play an in-store. And when you have all the time, I mean, being able to present the songs with an acoustic guitar and the voice, and then later that night, be able to play a show with the whole band was always a really... I don't know. I like that process a lot. I like doing radio shows. It's fun. It's it's nice to have to strip the song back to how I wrote it and perform them like that. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. For what it's worth, there is a song on this new album called 3AM Radio, but uh, yeah. I, don't th I don't think it's talking about our kind of radio at that point. Since uh, Yeah, yeah. It's more like trying to keep yourself awake at 3AM when the family's all asleep and you're driving and you're just kind of like trying to find something that'll entertain you enough to keep you awake. So there, the representation is there anyway. We appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> Jack, uh, thank you so much uh, for this. And again, uh, Meet the Moonlight. I mean, just what a fantastic record every single time you do it. Uh, I so appreciate it. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for being here. The last time Jack and I spoke was just back in 2018. He had just released uh, his record, All the Light Above It Too. We got to talk about how that era's administration had affected his activism and songwriting. He gave me uh, some backstory behind a few of the songs on there and, and lots more. So I'm going to include that part two of Kyle Meredith with Jack Johnson. Hey, how's it going, Kyle? I know that with, with the record being a, a few months old now, I, I think a lot of it's already been mined, but there, there's a few songs on here that I just keep going back to and back to. And, you know, when you, when you started with that single, My Mind is for Sale, and there was a lot of talk about, you know, where it came from and with, uh, with the current administration, Trump and all of that, um, I sort of went down to gather and just focused right on that song as one of my favorite things that you've ever done. And from what I understand, that's sort of in the same ballpark. Is that right? Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of times all the lyrics tie together just because they're all thoughts I'm going through my mind while I'm writing. And, you know, I, I steal from my own songs a lot in the sense of, you know, I'll have one song worked out in the studio and then I'll start working on another one. Then I'll start like in a particular line. I'll just start feeling like this is a whole other idea. And then I'll take it and I'll write another song around that. and I'll steal it from my own song and have to rewrite another line for that one that I took it from. So, yeah, I'd say and it definitely gather gather has to do with with greed 
in particular, you know, it's, it's, uh, but yeah, I would say it's definitely tied to my mind is for sale. Uh, a lot of times it's fun to be able to take a break from a certain idea on an album sequencing and then come back to the idea again later in the record. And that's, that's kind of what that one does. I mean, it's got such a cool sound to it and feel that it's, it's musically sort of very different than I think what uh, the rest of the record is. Yeah, it, it was fun fun making that song because it was one of those ones where a lot of times I'll have some kind of a melodic idea or I'll have uh, a certain thing. That was one where we just came in the studio one day and we felt like uh, my friend Robbie Lackertz that was in the studio with me helping to produce it. We just started completely from scratch on that one where I started with a drum beat and we kind of made a loop out of it. And then we dumped all the this basket full of percussion on the floor and I played with brushes against all these different shakers and we kind of made another loop on top of that. And then I, it was funny because he'd have me do a pass on, um, on say, like slide guitar and it was like I'd barely just tuned it and he'd be recording and he'd say, just do a pass. And then I'd play it and I'd get something that I thought was really cool and then I'd come in and he would he would take like the one part where I was searching and um and he would just take that and make a little loop out of it again and it was a different process for me it was fun it was a lot of uh, creating it after listening a lot of editing which i i don't always do but a lot of bands i like do that kind of stuff between you know from like radiohead to wilco and a lot of the the magic kind of happens in the editing and that was one of those for me it was really fun it was it opened my mind to a whole other way that we could record in the future which i liked on those themes, though, you know, you've always been an activist, so so hearing this in the song is not surprising in that sense. But I'd kind of be curious with the current administration, has it affected, you know, how you're an activist or your activism much, uh, or, and and what you've been focusing on? Yeah, that's an interesting question. For me, I I feel like I've always kind of focused on well different things on every album. There'll always be the goofy love songs, just one where I'm trying to make my wife laugh around the house and. I've got those kind of songs I write in five minutes, and it's funny for me because those those are real easy to write when you're in the right mood, and then they end up being the most popular ones, and they only take me like you know I say five minutes, I'm joking, but you know a day I'll have the whole song done because it's about it's about the fact that it's raining outside and we're stuck inside, and it's just a simple love song, and those are real easy and fun. And then I'll have the ones I spend a long time on, like you know days. Sometimes I'll put the idea on the shelf and come back to it, so it feels like a year sometimes for me. But and then those are always ones that usually are kind of more they uh, they're like a deep deeper cut on the record and people pay a little less attention to them or some people might pay more but they're not the real popular ones and the interesting thing that happened for me on this this time around you know because there's always been political commentary on the records there's like where all the good people go or uh sleep through the static and you know all the different records have had political social commentary but this time around it was interesting because it was one of the catchier songs and then with the administration taking office there was a lot more attention on the fact that I had this song that was, you know, referencing uh, I don't care for your paranoid, us against them, fearful kind of walls. And so suddenly every interview I was doing, there was a lot more attention on those lyrics than there had been. Even on lyrics that I felt were just as poignant in the past of where all the good people go, that was very politically tied and, you know, talking a lot about the administration at that point. But I didn't, you know, people kind of just clapped along and sang and it didn't really get as much attention. Well, when you have a guy who... And a recent, even recently, uh, doubled down on his non-belief in climate change and global warming. I mean, that's that's got to be so frustrating because, like, I see you. You know, you're in Hawaii. You sort of see you, you. This affects you, I think, more than you know. Well, it affects everybody, but but you get to see it sure, at yeah. a closer, you know, projection than than the folks in say Kansas do or something like that. You know, they don't see the bigger problems yeah, of the I world. Mean, sure, in certain ways, yeah, definitely with the. Uh... 
with the ocean levels. I mean, we're seeing crazy rates of um, of ocean level rise around here with all the sand banks and properties moving back. Any, anybody who's up against the ocean, it's just like, uh, it's pretty wild to watch right now how much it's changing year to year. And so we see that. We also see the accumulation of plastic building up on the, the east shore of all the islands, like places I used to go when I was a kid that had barely any plastic that now there's literally it's part of the makeup of the sand if you dig in the sand look at the particles there's real bright colorful ones you know they're the the plastics actually becoming part of that makeup and just a wall of plastic along these windward shores and so you know they're they're not the same beaches that make the postcards and things that people think about when they see hawaii but anybody who lives here or spends any time going to those windward sides it's heartbreaking to watch how that's building up and so there's you know anything to do with the ocean we definitely feel it and see it uh, first out here, we're kind of a filter out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean collecting all that. So yeah, when you have a, a president, you know, that pulls out of the Paris Climate Agreement or sort of guts the EPA, just like for any other human, it's really frustrating. But it's something we focus a lot of our energy towards, you know, trying to include those kind of things into our shows and into our music and our packaging and every aspect of what we do. So yeah, just as another human, it, it can be really frustrating to see us going backwards like that. And I, I see the great things you're doing. You've got the All at Once Foundation that... Uh... That's a part of every show, right? Yeah. So it always gets a little confusing. The All at Once is sort of uh, sort of this network where we it's uh, a way for all the different nonprofits to communicate. Uh, we have a we have the Johnson Ohana Foundation is the actual grant giving okay. foundation where we we give out money from every show to uh, nonprofit groups in every town that we play. It's it's a fun part of what we do. We get to start these relationships up with these great groups doing amazing work all around the world. And a lot of those groups, they become some of my best friends. You know, we go back and work with those same groups and really respect what they all do. So been a great relation built, relationship builder over the years, just getting to meet all these people. And, you know, now it's fun in a selfish way. When I come into town, those are the same people who will take us on really cool hikes or down to the beach and we'll borrow surfboards and, you know, doing a beach cleanup one one day and surfing the next. So we get a lot out of it too. But yeah, it's it's been great working with all these groups and, and seeing the, the change. And, you know, it's nice to come through town and, not just leave an environmental footprint, but leave a positive footprint. So when we when we take off, we know there's a lot of great work being done because of the show coming through town. A lot more energy for these nonprofit groups through the funding and also just the membership goes up from all the, the fans at the shows that sign up with these groups and stuff. Well, I, I know there's a lot of you know great artists out there that, that sort of do similar things, but I really, really appreciate that you take that chance and that those moments to, to push it even further. Um, it really does mean a lot to, yeah, thank you. to everybody around here. And, and the movies you do, Appreciate I mean, it. The Smog of the Sea, how that sort of led into this with that, uh, that short and everything. I mean, those are, those are so vital and important that you get the message out. Yeah, that was, that was really enlightening for me to get to go on that trip. You know, that's a group. Again, we met that. That was a perfect example of a group called Five Gyres that had been tabling at our shows over the years. And every time I'd run into this guy, Marcus Erickson, that ran Five Gyres, seemed like a really interesting guy and he'd always invite me on these trips and then I finally said all right let's put one on the calendar you know and let's do it and so I got to go on this data collection trip where we were we sailed from Florida to Bahamas and then Bahamas to Bermuda and we did these we'd drag a trawl behind the boat and we would collect anything that the thing would collect every time we'd basically sort it out and we'd do counts and it was really cool to see all the scientific work that goes into uh, you know the data collection that they're basing all these facts on that how much plastic is actually in the ocean. And we do a lot at our shows and we're really passionate about the work, but it was nice to actually see that, you know, be part of the science and then go from there. 
you know, there's a, <laughs> I, I know, you know, you get to go on these great expeditions and everything where it's sort of looking at the, the realness uh, of it all as you're talking about. Uh, there's also uh, that little story, I don't know if it's true or not, on the other side of it, just the, the pleasure side of it uh, versus business, that the album got delayed because of a surfing trip. Is that true? Yeah, it got delayed. It's almost like a it's a hard one for my math brain to to figure out if it helped or hurt. It was I was in the middle of recording and then I went on this surf trip. It slowed down the recording process, but I also wrote a song during the trip, so maybe I would have sometimes I get in the studio I get a little stuck, you know, I can get writer's block if I'm just in the studio too much. And then it's hard though, you're in there and you want to finish, so you kinda of stay in there and it's hard to break out. But usually if I give myself a day just to be outside the studio and actually go do something real. I'll write again. And so that was, yeah, I got to go on a surf trip. Uh, with my friend Kelly Slater, who's, you know, he's a 11 time uh, world champ of surfing. So a lot of people have heard his name, but he's a friend from when we were kids. And uh, we went on a trip and it was great to catch up again. And I got a, a song or two out of that trip anyway. So I think, I think it actually helped me finish. Who knows? I might've got too stuck in the studio. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in Kentucky and I can't surf, but if Kelly Slater called up and said, Hey, let's go surfing, I would cancel everything. I would push it off. So. <laughs> I can't blame you yeah. for that. And, and I also wanted to talk about that. I mean, the, the newest single, Big Sur, because there is that line I think you've talked about with a song about driving away from all the things we can't avoid that sort of goes into that. And, and it sounds like that relates to all of this. Like you, you sort of want to get away yeah. and, and go away, but at the end of the day, it's still facing you. Yeah, that's it's true. It's um, You summed it up perfect, but I think it's, it's fun for a lot of musicians, you know, we overthink our sequencing. It's a lot of fun. And most musicians I know still like to think of things as if it's as if everybody's listening to it on vinyl and you got a side A and a side B. And um, I love I love putting on an album, you know, on vinyl just and listening to it that way around my house. I, I do it a lot. And so that one for me is the beginning of side B. It's kind of the first half of the record is a lot of political commentary. And then Big Sur is like you're saying, it's about sort of driving away from that. But what I like about it is in the song, it keeps referring to the lines and the lines are basically uh, physically the lines on the road as you're driving to go camping. But then metaphorically, it's it's those lines of society that you have to stay within. So you're trying to find freedom within these lines. And that's kind of where the second half of the record goes a little more personal, but kind of keeps coming back together. And that song you talked about earlier, different ones. But the sequencing is really fun uh, for musicians. I, I Most of my friends, we all enjoy that part. Uh, and that was the first half of Side B, Fixer. Well, it, it makes for a really fun listen. It's a beautiful record, a poignant record, and a really fun listen, too. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know if you noticed, On and On turns 15 this year. Are you going to be doing anything oh, like really? that? <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. Uh, I feel like 15 is just a, that's still a little youngster. i got to wait till it grows a beard or something before I do anything <laughs> with it. So <laughs> no, big, no big plans. <laughs> Uh, I love that record, too. So if it ever comes around, you know, just one of those uh, off moments that you're like, front to back, I'm going to do it, then I'll... I'll yeah, yeah, that'd, that'd be, be cool. cool. I always wanted to do that. Uh, I'd like to do a show like that, you know. It's, uh, I've never done that yet, where I just did a record from front to front to back. But that one's definitely... It reminds me, that's my drummer, Adam Topol, who's played on all the albums since the first one. That's his favorite one. He always refers... He likes On and On a lot. No, man, that, that riff on Taylor still gets me every time. It's such a cool riff. Oh, really cool. That yeah. one was fun. I like that. I did that. That was me. That was me after watching. Uh, there's a there's a documentary on Jimi Hendrix where he sits on a stool and plays just an acoustic guitar. I think it's a 12 string or something. And, and he does these cool riffs. And it's not at all trying to sound like what he was doing, but I love just the feeling. I, I think it had been like a year since I'd seen it, but I remember trying to make 
something similar to what he kind of did in that opening to that film. Jack, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. I I really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. I appreciate the support. Thanks for having me on here. No problem. And we'll uh, we'll see you around. All right. Talk to you soon. And we'll round this episode out uh, heading back to 2013. When Jack and I, I think this was the first time we met, we were at the Bowery Hotel in, uh, in New York, and he was uh, talking about the album From Here to Now to You, which we got the uh, ins and out of. Uh, we talked about how music is a hobby, the amazing charity work that he's been a part of, and how he masks his private life in his very public songs. Part three of Kyle Meredith with Jack Johnson. I'm sitting with the one and only Jack Johnson, who's back. I'd say finally, I guess it's only been three years. Yeah. Um, it seemed longer for what felt fast reason. for me. Yeah, does it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. From here to now to you, uh, the new record. But it's got, you know, the great Jack Johnson sound on it. Thanks. Which which is kind of which is kind of an interesting thing because here you are album number six, right? I think it's album number six. I kinda people say that I counted as seven because we did the soundtrack that I used like a whole batch of songs sure, that sure. almost felt like a record. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, six or seven. I mean, it, it, beautiful songs, great songs, fun songs. Uh, it gets to it to point to wonder like, you know, if people say, oh, it's the Jack Johnson sound. Like, it's a defined thing. You've, like, got a defined career. Does it ever get to a point where you, you're worried about that? You know, it's like, oh, these are my songs. These are my sound. This is what I do. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Uh, I don't tend to worry too much about uh, what people, how they'll read into them. I mean, I kind of just record them. And then if my group of friends around seem like they dig them, yeah. then I kind of put them out to the world. I always just get a read off of my friends, my family around. Didn't really think about. It. I guess my point is, I don't really think about it too much while recording. It. And then, when you come out and start doing interviews, like the last few days, I finally got out and had to talk to people about the record and everything. Right. And then it's funny because then you start to reflect on what it is the record is about, or what it is that it's, or what how it sounds and things. Because people have been saying it seems like a return, you know. The, I just hadn't really thought about it. It's gonna be a weird thing for an artist though to have to define a record once you've done it, because I think most artists do the exact same thing. You just yeah. kind of go in, and it's not like unless you know that you want to make a concept record and you kind of build it towards that. Most of the yeah. time, it is just sitting around letting the songs come, yeah. and then afterwards you've got to come up with this grand story of what this album yeah. is. Yeah, and I don't try to pretend to mostly. Um, like for me, I kind of just. I don't set a date that now I'm writing for this record, and I don't really write them as a group. It's really just whenever I have a bunch of songs around, I kind of go in and record again. Yeah. And, uh, and then I try to put them in the best order that tells a story. Um, either Or, you know, sometimes just a sonic story, just how they build uh, and sit next to each other. But other times I'll actually put them there for a while, and then I'll think, well, those themes just don't go very well together, so I'll change them around. And yeah. it's actually, it's funny how much we, we spend sequencing the songs, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's just that's the kind of big part of making a record. It is, though, you know? and I love it. And I, I mean, even just the amount of seconds between a song, or like sure. if you're going to crossfade the the end of one song with the beginning of another, and if they're in the same key or a relative key, and it works or not, and it's all the the geeky stuff that's a lot of fun to yeah. do. And I mean, I think those are like those little semi intangible things that uh, people don't realize that help it make like it makes it a record that flows. Though and, um, I think it does. People hear all that love that goes into it and the amount of thought that goes into it. There's some artists that are doing great things with that. I don't know if you're familiar with Laura Marling. Yeah. Because she builds those suites. Like, she does an entire record off of one chord. Oh, really? That's and so cool. it kind of builds all the... But yeah. it, you know, sequencing is so important when you're doing stuff yeah. like that. So when you're, when you're writing these songs, um, I, I guess it's more of a songwriting you know, style of question, but do you think of like a 
the structure of the song, like, uh, or, or is it really just kind of like... I'm not that fancy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm getting to, you know. Are your songs, because on the surface, a Jack Johnson song can seem so simplistic. Yeah. And then when you really start to pick it apart, I mean, the, the style of guitar parts that you're doing, where you're doing the changes and everything, and I, I think this is total inside baseball talk right mm -hmm. here. All right, good. But, but, you know, is, is that something where you're sitting around going, no, I, you know, with a piece of paper, no, I've got to change that, and this has got yeah, to be yeah. selected towards this? And Yeah, not too much paper. I mean, well, sometimes... Um, once we get, once we're in the recording process, I'll start writing down things and uh, which songs still need, which songs I want to redo a guitar part or things like that. But as far as the writing part, um, I've always felt like just just good enough of a guitar player to write songs. And then sometimes I'll sit around and I'll actually start to kind of do scales and I'll start yeah. practicing things for a week or two. And then I fall off and I don't really do it. When I was a kid, I used to really sit down and look at all these tablature books and sure. listen to an album and try to figure out, you know, like Metallica hammer on things and stuff right. like that. And I, it's fun. Nowadays, I mean, I've got three kids and stuff. So, like, <laughs> when I pick up a guitar, it's like usually just to tell a story and whatever. I've always felt really solid with rhythm, you know. It's something mm -hmm. where um, I like playing the drums a lot. I like playing different percussion. Uh, I like using the guitar as a percussive instrument. And, um, and so on this new album, there's one song called Ones and Zeros, and it's got this open tuning. And I figured out this, it was... It's this, a crazy riff. Oh, yeah, thank you. It That's was, a crazy yeah, riff. It was fun. And it, it started out where I was just doing more of a normal uh, finger pattern. And then every time around, I would do this one little hammer-on thing that would kind of bring it back to itself. And then I just started doing the hammer-on for every chord and every finger pick. And then it started feeling sort of like a waterfall to me or something where it, it just, uh, there was something about kind of Nick Drakey, but even just more hammer-ons in there. Right. This sort of hammer-on won't stop uh, on the guitar. And so anyways, like things like that, that, that feels, I always feel like there's one or two songs on every album that feel semi-inventive, or not semi, that feel inventive, you know, something that right. I haven't really heard this before, it's, it's building on saying, otherwise I feel pretty traditional in my playing. Yeah, well, that one actually stood out of all the ones I've heard so far, cool. and it's because of the guitar part. I notice a lot of people, especially at this point in their career, um, don't uh, don't really write riffs anymore. Right. They start just to, but, but you're, you're kind of pulling them out. Yeah, I guess so. Which yeah. is which is nice. Don't make me too, don't make me be too self-reflective. Start freaking things out. Are these uh, so? Is, are are these new songs? Uh, like, I, I guess one. Did you start yeah. writing uh, immediately after the record, sure, or, yeah, or yeah. did some artists? You know, I think they go in and they say, "Oh, it's time to make a record. Let's write some songs." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I had this thought one day that this thing that I was reading from Joseph Campbell that he talked about how. A myth is sort of uh, a dream for a whole culture, and a dream is like an individual myth for one person. And so I started realizing that with a lot of the songs, not every one, but for me the chorus is kind of like the myth part, and the, and the verses are like the dream. Just meaning that the, the verses I can kind of dig into personal stuff that might not make a whole lot of sense to the people, but it's interesting, it's a little intriguing. Mm -hmm. But then the chorus is that part that everybody can hang on to, it's sure. something that everybody identifies with, and yeah. it's kind of like a myth, it's sort of like a dream for a whole culture. And, uh, and I guess the ones that, that are the ones that end up being the ones people hold on to seem like those are those ones to me. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of times those, the myth part or the part that uh, I feel like is a good solid line that makes the song, those I'll have for a while. And then the verses sometimes take a little more work because it has to come from personal experience. Sure. Um, and so if I don't give myself time to have those experiences, I'll, I never have songs. So if I was just always touring, always writing, it's just too much exhale, you know, exhaling. And I need those times to inhale again and just uh, be home. And so, yeah, the writing process usually happens over a couple of years. And when I'm not too busy doing 
things in front of cameras or sure. things where I'm aware sure. of this whole p part of it, you know. Um, how do you, uh, the, the, you know, the, the personal experiences, how, how do you do that? Because it seems to me like you've got your private life mm -hmm. and then you've got these songs that contain yeah. your private life. Sure. But you've got to try to find a way to mask that so it doesn't become, because yeah, I, yeah, I would yeah. guess that you don't want to let too much in. No, exactly. I mean, it's, um, sometimes I... I feel like I've gone too far, but usually I feel pretty good about it. I always kind of just try to think to myself, am I sharing anything in this song I wouldn't want people to know? Yeah. And I just feel like most of them are, you know, I got like this new song called, uh, well, I was calling it Your Mama, but it's, um, it's called You Remind Me of You on the yeah. record. That's another funny thing. You have to give the songs names, you know, eventually. And right. sometimes I think of them as a different thing than what I end up putting on the record because it just sounds clever that one day and I'll, I'll put it on there. But uh, this one, it's, you know, it's very personal. It's a song to my daughter and it's, uh, part of me thinks like why would I share that with the world but the other part thinks when I listen to it and I, that's what I do before I put it out I just kind of do a little editing process where mm -hmm. I think am I really sharing anything here and all it does is it's a song from a father to a daughter sure. that anybody could sing completely relatable yeah and it doesn't give anything that I would feel you know there's nothing somebody could ask me like so your daughter has this particular from all the all other baby girls you know or sure. it's just it's sort of just um, is very broad at the same time, and those are the ones I share, the ones that feel broad enough that I don't feel like I'm giving out any kind of personal yeah. information, really. Have you had to do some heavy editing on other songs? Yeah, I mean, you know, just in the sense of, um, if it's a love song, sometimes I put my wife's name in it and things like sure, that, because sure. uh, the original one was just me joking around with her, and so I'll pull out little things like that. Or just like, I had one, that this song called Do You Remember, um, that was a few albums ago. And there's, so there's like, you know, like it's very personal that the way I met her was I locked my bike to her bike before she ever knew who I was. And I walked out of class and I watched her from across the, the bike parking area to see how she'd respond. But I just thought that's kind of a funny thing. I don't mind sharing that. Sure. I don't mind people asking me questions about that. So it's like whatever I put in the songs, I have to be ready to sort of talk about it because right. it's my fault for putting them up. Uh, there's been other parts. That, that song was, um, it was longer. I wrote it as, um, as for an anniversary gift, you know, or just like something I want to share with her just to make her laugh on our anniversary about all these memories of the past years. And then there were certain ones that were like, you know what, that camping trip I don't want to share with the yeah. world, or like that moment, that's just ours. And yeah. So I make a lot of those choices. And sometimes I think like, oh, but it really makes the song good. But, you know, it's more important to keep that personal. So it's always a balance for me. Sure. Um, yeah, and sometimes I feel good about the choices I made. Other times I think, oh, I was dumb. I should have kept that for ourselves too. You know, but um, it's always been the hardest thing. I think about a lot of artists who write the autobiography towards the end. Right. It's like now you're putting that stuff out there, and you know, sure. Yeah. It's like, can't, but if, but I guess for them, it always seemed to me like you had to give your entire self over to the art if you were going to pull something like that yeah. off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is I, what I come back is why I think it's really interesting the way to see how you've kind of, kind of combined that or uh, yeah, sure. Know. Kind of yeah, that together. So, yeah, music still feels a bit like a ho I mean, a hobby to me, and I want to keep it that way. It's um, it's not my whole life, you know. And sometimes I, I feel ready to sort of not ramp up the, the whole thing again and go on tour. I mean, I really do, like just being, not in front of these cameras. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, funny, yeah. you know, it's funny as it sounds to say right now, but, uh, it's fun. It's exciting. We're in New York City right now, and you know, we're getting to cruise around and see all these really, great things, all these great cities around the world, and. We love it, and it's exciting, and it's fun. And then other times, it's like, what in the world are we thinking? Why would we do that? You know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I guess you know, you're known for being so connected to local. You're local. You know, you're, right. you're a space in the world. You know, is touring kind of? I mean, I don't want to say is it a drag, but it's got to be a thing. Like, 
here we're going to completely take you out of your element, right. shove you in a tour bus, <laughs> you know, where you're away from the land for, I mean, you're stuck on the asphalt yeah, yeah. And, and darkness of the uh, the bus this entire time. No, we love it. I mean, and it's only us choosing to do it. We've, we're really lucky. The whole way we've set up our the music career has just been, uh, we get to control it all. You know, mm. we've made, we said no to a lot of things really early that were pretty dumb to say no to, but we were lucky we did. You know, a lot of the first offers we got that were just, um, probably should have been the best offer we got, and if we said no, it was never going to happen. Somehow it just came back, and then all of a sudden we found ourselves kind of writing our own deal, and our deal didn't have so much to do with big advances. It had more to do with just making sure we had artistic control of everything yeah. and making sure that there was never any kind of uh, set amount of days that we had to be out to promote a record or anything like that. So, you know, um, so whenever we decided to go on tours, because it sounds like a fun road trip for us again, and there are times where at the end of a three-week span where it's sort of okay, let's try to remind ourselves not to do three weeks straight next time, right. you know, or whatever. Right. Uh, try to remember not to do four shows in a row, like give yourselves a day off. Um, but you, you do it because then you look at the, the map and you look at the dates and all of a sudden you say, well, if we did four or five in a row there, then we can have three days off in Paris or something, sure. you know, you're looking at the thing. and so. You make these little compromises. Do you still get approached a lot about the, about causes and everything? People come up to you saying, oh, "We know your reputation on causes. Here, be a part of our." Yeah, yeah, we do quite a bit. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, you say the, uh, the, the you're saying no to certain things. And I, I imagine there's a good side to being approached about all of these things too. Yeah, definitely. We've met a lot of amazing people doing great things. Um, yeah. We've kind of from early on, from getting a chance to be around people like Neil Young and David Crosby and yeah. Jackson Brown, a lot of these guys that. We felt like we were joining on to this tradition they had of using music for social change. and um, So yeah, we, we played the Bridge School Benefit with Neil Young years ago, and that was really inspiring for us to get invited into his, his world and to see how it was his family really running it, family and friends, and uh, it inspired us to want to do the Kukua Hawaii Foundation that so we started. So how effective is it? Can a song change the world? Can you, can you do that? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's all vibrations, you know, and everything. I think it definitely changes the world, even if it's just a teeny bit. Sure. Uh, I think the song, and people are listening to it while they're driving to work, and a song puts you in a good mood, and then it's that domino effect where you treat other people better that day. Yeah. And so it's hard to tell the effects of it, you know, sure. but I think that it's every song is changing the world, whether you're putting negative vibrations or positive vibrations out there. That's a, uh, a good way to put it. Yeah, I get, you know, I mean, that's one way I see it. But then, you know, and also if you can use the music to, and take that spotlight that's shining on you and turn it towards something that you believe in, it's, yeah. uh, it's definitely made me feel like this is a career worth pursuing a little more. Sometimes that's what brings us back out on the road is um, thinking about all these groups that we get to help fund. Right. Since 2008, we've been making all of our tour. We donate 100% of it. To Which is amazing. Nonprofit. It's fun. I mean, it's yeah. as much as like, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, thanks for saying it. But at the same time, it's for us. It kind of gives the whole thing meaning. It makes it a little easier for me to explain to my kids. Like this is what Daddy does. You right. Know? Um, right. We get to visit all these great community gardens and music programs. It's, there's a couple of things that we help fund that are those. It's almost like School of Rock, where it's these after-school programs. And I've taken my kids around, and it's so fun to go in there and just jam out with all these kids after school. And a lot of times I'll learn one of my songs, and we'll go in there and play music with these guys. So it's really rewarding for me. I get so much out of it, and it's, um, it's sort of, sometimes it's, and when I go and do something like that, it reminds me of why I play music. You know, for me, like, when I first learned how to play a chord or two, it was so we could play Beatles and Bob Marley and sit around with a group of friends and sing right. songs together. And so when you get in this situation where all of a sudden you have these high school age kids that can really play instruments, and you can tell that this is, they get that, you see that spark that I used to have when the first time me and a couple of friends would lock into a groove. Mm -hmm. And then you think, wow, this is really cool that 
we're helping to fund this thing, it's this, this studio. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it all makes it feel like uh, all worth doing. Cool. Well, Jack, uh, thanks for setting down from here to now to you. Uh, very much looking forward to yeah, it. Uh, we're grateful for that and all the things you do. I mean, it kind of makes it cool to be a fan. Yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> I'll see you, man. Thanks. And again, my thanks to Jack. The uh, latest record is called Meet the Moonlight. Big thanks to you as well for checking out the episode and the series. Uh, again, uh, please do hit that subscribe button before you get out of here to catch uh, all the interviews, three new interviews every single week with all of your favorite artists or some new discoveries at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. Then after that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, mostly Twitter, occasionally Instagram and Facebook, all three of them at Kyle Meredith. Do hope you like and follow along. Hey, that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. I can't even believe I'm getting to sit here and do this right now. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Hey there, it's Kyle Meredith from Kyle Meredith With. After you check out the latest episode of my show, uh, be sure to check out some of our other great programs on the Consequence Podcast Network, including Standing BTS, a bi-weekly podcast covering all things BTS and ARMY, and The Opus, Consequence's original documentary podcast exploring legendary albums and their lasting legacies. So head to Consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.